politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and citizens not subjects to the one and only Conservative Review podcast here at Blaze TV. Monday, a brand new week here, November 16th. In what was formerly the good old U.S. of A., it's now North Korea. You see, a lot of you might be looking forward this time of year towards Thanksgiving, Christmas, Hanukkah, New Year's. But this year, it's been canceled. You see, we have chief executive officers of various governmental departments and agencies that evidently have the power, each individually, of Kim Jong-un. I don't even know if North Korea has some of these restrictions. But here's where we are to start out the new, the, the new week. As we still sort through this fraudulent election, we are going to continue focusing here on that issue as well, but also on the governing fraud. You know, it's funny, I, I watch everyone debate the election results And obviously, the Trump supporters are going to say, look, you know, there's nothing more dangerous than stealing an election. The liberals and the media are saying there's nothing more dangerous to democracy than a president refusing to peacefully transfer power and to stay in power and to not concede two weeks after the election. And what I'm thinking is we're all missing the point. Because as this is going on, forget about what the federal government is even doing or not doing. At a state and local level, we have governors and mayors and county executives and unnamed, faceless, nameless bureaucrats in their their respective health departments that could basically wave their hand and say, the Bill of Rights does not exist. Done. And as I've often said, it's not even the Bill of Rights because... Madison and many of the founders were against a Bill of Rights because they didn't want any inkling in your mind to think that maybe those rights come from government. So to even enumerate them gives off the impression that you need to put that in the Constitution, that government gives you the right to assemble, to get together, to move unrestricted bodily integrity, to move without having your uh, body raped by by a cloth to school your kids in the way you want to, to attend religious services, to not be tracked and traced. First Amendment, Second Amendment, Fourth Amendment. But we didn't need those amendments. Because the Bill of Rights refers to them with the article of the, the right to bear arms. The right to assemble, right? It's the right, the pre-existing right. This is extremely scary. Where is the rebellion? It can't all be put into Trump because, again, remember, even if Trump winds up sitting in the Oval Office, this is happening. And by the way, what I would say is many of us were debating back in March whether this was all a ploy to just screw with Trump. And a lot of us were joking around saying we'll discover a cure to coronavirus the day after the virus or the day after the election is over, especially if Trump loses. And after a couple and a couple of weeks, I warned you guys, I said, look, it might have started out that way, but these guys, I don't think they ever realized how successful they would be 
in actualizing that degree of usurpation of power that they've achieved, they're never going to let this go. It's not just about defeating Trump. That's a means to an ends, not an ends to a means. And the ends for them is the actual usurpation of power, not just to get Trump out of power. And I think we saw that just the opposite. When they thought Trump was defeated, they were emboldened to go even further, to go back into blatant lockdown. So we're going to talk about the legalities today. We're going to talk about the prudence on both the policy and legal side of the sheer lunacy of corona fascism. But I want to warn you guys, what I don't understand is, everyone's like, oh my gosh, if Biden wins, we're going to die. But I got news for you, we're dying as a, as a nation with civil liberties even before then. It's mainly at a state level. And if Republicans control the legislature in 31 states, if they control the legislature plus the governorship in 24 states, why is it we don't have a place to go? You know, I was um, I was out Friday, and I, I apologize. I thought I'd be back in time to do the show. I wasn't. I was in Pennsylvania. We're looking. Uh, I was with my dad. We're looking for a extended family kind of retreat, like our own Camp David. And part of it is we want a place to go to to get away from both the violence that we see, because of course, if you are not a favored political class or race. You don't have the right to self-defense while they have the right to maim you, as we saw in D.C. over the weekend. And then the fascism at the same time. But, you know, I mean, this was, we, we went to a place that was like a county Trump won by 70%. And the buyer's agent was good, but the, the seller's agent was like, oh, let's put on a mask to go in. I mean, here we're literally in middle of nowhere. One of these gravel drives, you have to go up into something that abuts state forest. There's no one there. And like, even here? Now, I I understand that particularly in Pennsylvania, the realtors were shut down more than any other state and they're scared. But like, this is where it is. Where do we go? Let's start a message, a thread at our Facebook fan page, Miniman Speakeasy. Let me know where I could go. Even in Florida with my friend Ron DeSantis as governor, there's localities that are screwing with people. I saw someone was arrested in Orlando for not wearing a mask. Where do we go? But I want you guys to take a listen to this two-minute clip from Justice Samuel Alito. He spoke Thursday night at the Federalist Society's annual confab, which, by the way, was over Zoom, which is stupid. And he's a pretty mild-mannered guy. He's not like a Scalia in his temperament. And I was shocked, given the pending litigation on some of these corona-fascist cases, how boldly he spoke out. He was like, wait a minute, this is a serious problem. But he also spoke to an issue that I found, found very fascinating. You heard it here first in March and April. I told you this Jacobson court case from 1905 the notion that you could use that to just sack democracy for public health is not true. Let's take a listen to what Alito had to say. Laws giving an official so much discretion can, of course, be abused. And whatever one may think about the COVID restrictions, 
we surely don't want them to become a recurring feature after the pandemic has passed. All sorts of things can be called an emergency or disaster of major proportions. Simply slapping on that label cannot provide the ground for abrogating our most fundamental rights. And whenever fundamental rights are restricted, the Supreme Court and other courts cannot close their eyes. So what have the courts done in this crisis? When the constitutionality of COVID restrictions has been challenged in court, the leading authority cited in their defense is a 1905 Supreme Court decision called Jacobson versus Massachusetts. The case concerned an outbreak of smallpox in Cambridge, and the court upheld the constitutionality of an ordinance that required vaccinations to prevent the disease from spreading. Now, I'm all in favor of preventing dangerous things from issuing out of Cambridge and infecting the rest of the country and the world. It would be good if what originates in Cambridge stayed in Cambridge. But to return to the serious point, it's important to keep Jacobson in perspective. Its primary holding rejected a substantive due process challenge to a local measure that targeted a problem of limited scope. It did not involve sweeping restrictions imposed across the country for an extended period. And it does not mean that whenever there is an emergency, executive officials have unlimited, unreviewable discretion. Just as the COVID restrictions have highlighted the movement toward rule by experts, litigation about those restrictions has pointed up emerging trends in the assessment of individual rights. This is especially evident with respect to religious liberty. It pains me to say this, but in certain quarters, religious liberty is fast becoming a disfavored right. And that marks a surprising turn of events. So folks, listen to that. He said exactly what I've been saying. First of all, he noted that, look, you know, let's say you think this is necessary, but this is a big deal. Let's recognize that. How long are we going to do this? And are they ever going to give that power back after the pandemic is over? Now, I think we got the answer to that, as we'll mention later with Fauci. But as he noted with, with uh, Jacobson, that was a limited case to something that had clear efficacy. Now, I'm not saying I agree with the case. And everything the Supreme Court has done until now really speaks against that. It's not good law anymore. Case law. But the notion that you could just indefinitely, this severely shut down every single liberty is absurd. And it's also absurd because it's refuted by the facts on the ground. You can't, by definition, you can't be on month number eight with wear a mask and do this and do the distancing. Otherwise, we're gonna, it's going to spread. It's spreading like crazy. We need to do this. It's spreading everywhere. They're literally saying all 50 states are a danger zone now. Well, isn't that a sign to you that this is this year's version of the flu and it's not a matter of any one place and any one mitigation tactic? All states are having this problem because it's going to spread until you achieve herd immunity no matter what you do. In March, you could say, all right, we're sacking democracy because we think this will help. But we've been doing it for seven months. So by definition, you can no longer say, oh my gosh, it's spreading. We need to do this. Well, you've been doing it, you idiot. This stuff is sheer lunacy. It's voodoo. 
voodoo science. But I actually want to share with you today something that's not voodoo science. See, you can't go and put a blanket up in front of a virus. But what you can do is shield your own body and build up your own immune system, your own enzymes, your own cells. I want to introduce you guys to today's special sponsor, True Niagen. As we age, you can start to see it in your face and feel it in your bones. Heck, even in my mid-30s, I feel it. Much more so than my 20s. There are creams that claim that they'll give you younger skin and energy shots. They'll give you youthful energy. Let's look deeper beneath the surface on how we counteract the effects of aging. True Niagen helps us age better by supporting the energy-generating engines that exist in our bodies, helping us restore youthful energy. Tiny repair enzymes work deep in your cells to help you recover from lifestyle routines that are hard on the body, including sleep deprivation, an intense workout or poor diet, or like me, doing 30 bags of leaves yesterday. TrueNiogen supports these enzymes. TrueNiogen is safety tested and backed by Nobel Prize winning scientists. Age smarter with TrueNiogen. Right now, new customers can save 20 bucks on a three-month supply by going to TrueNiogen.com slash Daniel. And I'll spell that for you. That is T-R-U-N-I-A-G-E-N dot com forward slash Daniel. And if you don't know how to spell Daniel, well, I can't help you. But save your 20 bucks. Three-month supply, truenigen.com slash Daniel. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. But it is definitely something that you want to check out. And there's a lot more science backing it than what's going on. And what I'll tell you what's going on is, this went from 15 days to flatten the curve to forever until you die to flatten our liberties. Fauci, over the weekend, he's all emboldened now because he thinks he's going to get Biden in there. Sick man. He's like, he, he told Jake Tapper, who's basically, he's the chief arbiter. Jake Tapper is basically the president of the United States. Tapper asked him if once the process is complete, does that mean, because uh, he's talking about the uh, you know Pfizer and uh, Moderna, the different vaccines that they claim are coming out. Does that mean people can take off their masks? They don't have to social distance. They can just go about their lives as before. Fauci replied, I would recommend that this is not the case. I would recommend you have, you have an added area of protection. Obviously, with a 90 plus percent effective vaccine, you can feel much more confident. But I would recommend to people to not abandon all public health measures just because you have been vaccinated. Because even though for the general population might be 90, 95 percent effective, you don't necessarily know for you how effective it is. So, folks, there you go. There we have it. He didn't even say, like, wait a couple months. Let's see. That according to that logic, that is forever. Because, folks, that is the point. This is absurd. Let me give you some data to back this up. See, we never had news tickers and dashboards on every damn person in a hospital for a respiratory virus. So people don't have a sense of proportion of what is going on. Now, look, this is more pervasive and virulent than a typical seasonal flu when it hits its peak you know, part 
in a given area that it peaks, but generally in most places, most of the time, it's not more than a flu. In other words, each period, what we've seen, they have to go through what's typically a six to eight month period of saturation where it kind of like gets the most people at once. But you don't achieve full herd immunity based on it, and it will come back in several waves. But there's one time where it like saturates an area. It's funny. Everyone's like going nuts about the upper Midwest, the Great Plains, Wyoming. Oh, my gosh, it's terrible. Well, yeah, because it was the best for six months. So they barely had seroprevalence there. So now you're going to get it. I mean, it's so natural. It works cyclically. Except there's certain times that it's a seasonal spread. Certain times it's geographical spread. We all knew that when we were going to get to the fall, it was going to be a universal spread. That's when it universally spreads. So the places that didn't have any seroprevalence ironically turned out to be more unlucky. Unlucky, Like you would rather get your spread like Florida did in the summer and then you, you're confronted with the fall spread with a much higher degree of seroprevalence than a place like Wyoming. I mean, they did so poorly now because they did so well before. So if you want to isolate any period of six months in any place, yeah, you'll have an above-level hospitalization. But if you look overall, for our given time, you look at the hospitalization level, it's not that big of a deal, especially when you consider the $200 million we have thrown at the hospitals. And remember, we're not talking about taking one, two, three levels above the typical precautions we would take. We are talking about flattening our mental health, our physical health, our lifestyles, missing your grandkids, missing school, missing work. Putting that cloth on your face wherever you go. This is using a nuclear bomb. So you could tell me, yeah, we're a little bit above hospital level, but we are not seeing anything like what they are suggesting. And in fact, it is in line, as I've said before, with pandemic flus that we've seen before in ancient history. I mean, like is, I mean, gosh, you January 2018. I mean, that was just like ancient history, which nobody ever heard of. A lot of what is going on is predicated on a lie that we're not being told about. Marco Rubio just tweeted out, someone sent this to me this morning, COVID-19 numbers climbing again in Florida. We have more options and better outcomes for treatment. The issue is that flu season will already fill beds. COVID patients will add to that and potentially strain our hospitals. That is demonstrably false. That We have now data from the tail end of the Northern Hemisphere flu season from February, March, where the flu season died when COVID hit. Flu season never arrived in the Southern Hemisphere when they get in the summer. And so far, for the first five weeks of the flu season in the fall, in the Northern Hemisphere, at least in the United States, Flu cases are down 95%. The two don't work together. This is this year's flu. So that is a very different point. If there is one piece of information I could give to the public, it would be this. See, typically, when you have an epidemic, the reason why it could be a big problem is, like Rubio suggested, 
except it's not true, is that you would have your baseline level of hospitalizations and the baseline is always higher in the flu season. And then you have an epidemic on top of it. But what if this replaces the flu? Well, what it essentially is, is a typical year for most of the time. In the peak periods, in the peak states, it will be a little bit above that, but nothing we can't handle. And kind of in line with a pandemic flu like 2018. That's what we're seeing here. This is the reality. We are being lied to. We are being lied to across the board. This is this year's flu. When are we going to fight back? Where is our Boston Tea Party moment? Well, I think... I think the masks need to be our Boston Tea Party moment. I think it is time that we have mask burning events. Because that is their religion. You know, it's funny. You know what happened? Um, basically, so in most places, they had mask mandates early on, so early like in April, that they, they barely even had any cases. And then suddenly it just it came. So they're caught red-handed because the surge occurred long after they had universal mask wearing in place. And this has been the story of everywhere from, you know, Hawaii to the Philippines to Israel to all the European countries. LA, you name it. We we have so many examples. Our buddies at rationalground.com have numerous charts on this. Um, you know, and Weiss put out 12 charts showing this. You could Google it, you know, and Weiss 12 charts on mask wearing. It's a PC published at the Federalist. But then there's other places where they didn't have a mask mandate and they panicked once they had the spread. And then they're like, oh, look, it went down. The masks were. So now, as you well know, typically the RO, the rate of reproduction, usually has peaked out already by the time you even realize it, much less implement these things. Right. They're like, oh, it went down. Well, yeah, because in any given area, each wave is like six to eight weeks and then it burns out. It doesn't go on forever and definitely in any one area. That's what we've seen. I mean, without exception. So, you know, you're already the RO has already peaked. You're four weeks into the spread. You have a mass mandate. Yeah, it's going to go down. <laughs> it's nothing to do with the mass. So that's like your North Dakotas now, the North Dakota loser Republican there. Again, you, you look at these Republican governors, the sinister stuff they're putting out. We, we, we're, we mean business. We're, we're going to have jail time. Meanwhile, the criminals run loose. Like in my state, you literally have carjackers holding people up. They are caught and they are released. We had these teenagers that were terrorizing the neighborhood. I don't just mean like petty theft. I mean holding people up with a gun, carjacking. They are let go. And this subhuman... SOB, Larry Fatboy Hogan, he even looks like Kim Jong-un. He puts out like, we mean business. This is spreading. We need to do stuff. You've been doing that, you idiot, and it doesn't work. It's cyclical. It's natural. Show a little humility. But the same coward loser that will never issue these warnings to the carjackers. If anything, he lets them out of prison. He passed criminal justice reform. 
But anyway, so they're like, oh, you see, it's working. Our measures are working. So what, what, what happened was what was so cute. A bunch of researchers from Mount Sinai Hospital as well as, um, no, this wasn't Mount Sinai. I'm sorry. This was something else. It was University of California, San Francisco. So, and MIT, I think, was involved too in this study. They published a study of a thousand counties showing that mask wearing helped reduce hospitalization. But by the time they finished it, they were already on to the second wave because it went down because it stops as it always does. And then they're on to the fall wave and it's spreading in all those places. Like, whoops. So they had to withdraw the study. It's such a joke. This whole thing is an utter joke. They had to withdraw it. But folks, I have a column out today with something very interesting. There's a a really good study out. A study that's not some like, you know, complicated scientific mathematical equation that the average person could under, understand, but a study that we see with our eyes. You can't go for seven months with masks not working and somehow look us in the eye and say, our studies have shown that they work. Well, they clearly don't. If you're panicking that it's spreading more universally and more virulently than ever before. But you will never get a better case study than the United States military. Researchers for the Naval Medical Research Center it's located here in uh, Maryland. Worked together with Mount Sinai Hospital in New York. They published a study, published it in the New, the New England uh, Journal of Medicine, where they basically had over 3,000 participants as a control and a study group of marine recruits at Paris Island. Now, let me tell you something. Those of you who served in the Marines or really any branch, you know you will never get a greater degree of compliance than boot camp at Paris Island. If that drill sergeant tells you, here are the rules, you're going to follow those rules, especially with the specter of, of danger that you know these rules are needed for public safety. So they had, they divided them like, let's say 1,600 in each group or so. Obviously, they tested everyone out of the gate. Anyone who had it was taken out. So they didn't have it. By day 14, the spread was actually greater among those in the supervised quarantine group than the control group. It spread, it was a 2.8% infection rate in the supervised group and 1.7% in the control group. Now, what was in the quarantine group? I'm going to read to you from the study. All recruits wore double-layered cloth masks at all times indoors and outdoors except when sleeping or eating, participate, practice social distancing of at least six feet, were not allowed to leave campus, did not have access to personal electronics or other items that might contribute to service transmission, routinely washed their hands, they slept in double occupancy rooms with, with sinks, ate in shared dining facilities, and used shared bathrooms. All recruits cleaned their rooms daily, sanitized bathrooms after each use with bleach wipes, ate pre-plated meals in the dining halls that was cleaned with bleach after each platoon had eaten, most instruction exercises were conducted outdoors, and by the way, with masks, which is very dangerous to their health. All movement of recruits was supervised and un, um, 
unindirectional flow was implemented with the designated building entry and exit points to minimize contact among persons. All recruits, regardless of participation in the study, underwent daily temperature and symptom screening. Six instructors who were assigned to each platoon worked in eight-hour shifts and enforced the quarantine measures. Okay, folks, you want to talk about North Korea, that's where you're going to get it. Marine training. And it failed. It didn't work. And I mentioned to you months ago, Fort Benning had the same thing. That's that's the U.S. Army. Same thing. Where they took everyone out, out, they quarantined them. Then they took them out after the quarantine period, tested them. Nobody had it. They started the training with all the things. And roughly about 20% of the people wound up getting it. And again, as was the case in Fort Benning, was the case here in Paris Island. 90% of them, they're young folks. 90% were asymptomatic. And the remaining 10% that were symptomatic were subclinical. No one, no one was hospitalized. They're young folks. And it's not a big deal. But now extrapolate that to the schools and the colleges where we are abusing our children for nothing, for a virus that doesn't do anything to them beyond what the flu does. In most cases, much less. And for tactics that do not help, you will not get better compliance. So all these, ugh, I'm on the borderline of profanity today, but all these blank governors that are out there, I don't like what I see. You better stop doing this. You better, well, you're not going to get better compliance than Marine recruits at Paris Island. It didn't work. The control group did better. Probably because of the stupid masks. If you, if, if, meaning some people might say, well, Daniel, it didn't work, but why would it be worse in the quarantine group? I would say probably, I can't think of the other reasons why it would make it worse, the other things they did, the masks. It spreads it more. It's obvious. Folks, this is not going away on its own. This has nothing to do with the election. Fauci said they're doing this indefinitely. If we don't at least start taking back power in the states where Republicans have control, in counties that Trump won by 30, 40 point margins, we're done. Nothing else matters anyway. Where is our Tea Party moment? We need to start burning masks. We need to have mass demonstrations. And again, we have proven the efficacy is a joke, but let's say it would be effective. Let's say it would be effective. Even then, who says you could do this to a human being? This is why our country is founded. Folks, you might have seen the news over the weekend. Out of Europe, mass demonstrations. Well, why don't we have them in America? Are we more nanny state now? Are we less enthusiastic and zealous about defending freedom than Europeans are? What has happened to us? Denmark, they were going to have this whole thing monitoring people for a vaccine and controlling them and draconian law. Generally, Denmark hasn't been that bad until now. And the people rebelled and said no. They backed down. We have a chief ju- we have a Supreme Court justice kind of hinting to this. Let's remember our rights. Let's remember the fact 
You know, the, my, my governor here in Maryland is like, you better remember this. Well, buddy, you better remember the Maryland Declaration of Rights. That these rights apply in a time of emergency and a non-time emergency. That's what it says. Literally, uses the language emergency. Fundamental rights don't go away. And when government, when all means of redress are ineffective, we have the right to form a new government. That is a fundamental right. You cannot trap people into this. So what if you win an election? Frankly, so what even if you cheat to win an election? Okay, you could determine certain foreign policy at a federal level, a local level. You could determine how you want to do zoning and trash collection. And some of these decisions might be pretty important. But you cannot rule over our bodies. That is not something that a victor of an election ever gets to do. That's what distinguishes us from other countries. Have we all forgotten what it means to be an American? What it means to be a free person? What it means to live with God-given natural rights? Where is the rebellion? So that's even if this would be an emergency, if this would be unusual, and these measures would help. But how much more so when we see after seven months it is all built on a lie? Now, speaking of the scientific part of it, so you know we're giving both the legal and scientific arguments. Again, you look at the fact that this is supplanting the flu as the respiratory virus of the year. If you look at the hospitalizations, you'd be shocked at what the numbers show. So first, I just want to give you just the general context. Our buddies at Rational Ground did tremendous work on this. I've really been pushing uh, Kyle and Justin, Kyle Lamb, Justin Hart, these guys to put this together. And Justin Hart put this out on Twitter. It might be out at rationalground.com as an article I haven't checked, and I'm going to write about this today. But basically, what they did is tally up the average hospitalization level for the last three years. Or, I'm sorry, it wasn't the last three years. It was 2016 through 2018. They did an average of those three years, because I guess they don't have the data yet um, from here. They, they prepared it from the AHA, American Hospital Association, data. And it's truly remarkable. Because remember, I just want to preface, these stats that they're listing are the average hospitalization level, and it's 476,547, so let's say about 477,000 people nationwide in the hospital. It's averaging out 365 days. So it's 365 times um, three, three years, so... You know, you take over a thousand days. What was the average? The reason why that's important is this is not the average hospitalization level of the flu seasons of the last three years. It's everything. And we know there's a big gulf between the flu season and the non-flu season part of the year. So this is including the non-flu season part of the year, 477,000. Right now, it's at 498,000. Almost, almost 499. It's a 4.7% increase. 
Okay, so the level of the number of people in the hospital is 4.7%. And I think the dates they took for were November 1st to November 9th. So very much during the peak, it was last, like last week or two weeks ago, the peak of our, this is the most widespread spread of COVID. Nationwide, it's 4.7% higher than the normal period averaged out from three years. Now, if it's only 4.7% higher than the total average, what if I just looked at the flu season? I don't know if they could dig out that data. I, I've been trying to find that. Likely, it would not be that much different at all. And certainly, if you look at just the 2018, 2017-2018 flu season, which is particularly bad, because I took a look. What I do have is... Where is this? Let me dig this up here. If you look at the total number of people that were estimated to be hospitalized during the flu season. So um, this is not at one given point, like a daily average. But the total CDC projects in their write-up on that pandemic flu season, 810,000 people were hospitalized. I believe, and don't quote me on this, I believe the total number of people hospitalized for COVID cumulatively over eight months, remember that season was mainly four months, over eight months has not even reached 810,000 yet. It's like maybe 760, I want to say 770, it's getting there. But that's over an eight-month period. This other thing was over a four-month period. So when you're talking about the stress on the hospitals, right? So right now there are, Currently, there are 67,000 people hospitalized with COVID. And by the way, the important thing is that is with COVID. How many people are hospitalized because of COVID? And then how many people are hospitalized because they got into a car accident? We test every living organism that enters the hospital. Oh, you're positive. You're now a COVID patient and we can medically bill it as a COVID patient. I don't have the answer to that, but there are two states that divide that out that parse out hostiles with COVID versus because of COVID, North Dakota and Iowa. And what we're seeing is about a 25, sometimes 30% differential. So when we're looking at 67,000 currently hospitalized um, with COVID, it's really more like, I want to say, you know, maybe certainly less than 50,000, maybe 40, even 40, 45,000 with COVID. So if you're telling me over the course of four months, 810,000 people were hospitalized in that pandemic flu. I mean, folks, if you look at January 2018, which was the worst period. I'm sure you easily had several days where you had 200,000 people, at least 150,000 people in the hospital with the flu. Now we have maybe 40, 50,000 on a given day that are really there for COVID much more in line with the typical flu season. And again, if, if the flu winds up disappearing, which we've seen so far in the Southern hemisphere, and we've seen from the periods of the flu we had overlapping in the Northern hemisphere, then it's kind of like a regular flu season, not even a pandemic flu. Remember, this is time magazines write up. January 18th, 2018, 
The 2017-2018 influenza epidemic is sending people to hospitals and urgent care centers in every state. Medical centers are responding with extraordinary measures, asking staff to work overtime, setting up triage tents, restricting friends and family visits, and canceling elective surgeries, to name a few. We are pretty much at capacity, and the volume is certainly different from previous flu seasons, said Dr. Alfred Talia, professor and chair of family medicine at the Robert Wood Johnson Medical Center in New New Brunswick, New Jersey. Folks, how many how many of you even heard of it at the time, much less disrupting our liberties? Talia says his hospital is managing, but just barely, at keeping up with increased people, not number of sick patients in the last three weeks. The hospital's urgent care centers have also been inundated, and its outpatient clinics have no appointments available. So, I mean, this happens from time to time, and we never suspended liberty. And again, you look at the data, and I'm comparing. So now look, if you go to Montana, you go to those places that this is their first wave and their main wave, yeah, you'll see a 20-30% increase in the typical you know, three-year average, but not again, that's not the flu season. That's that includes the summer too. That's averages out all the days. But then there's another important thing is if you look at the hospitalization utilization. So one's a measure of how many people literally are, how many bodies are in the hospital. And another one is what percentage of the beds are taken. Because, you know, they do have fluctuation and they do have surge capacity, which we're obviously using. And they did pump $200 million, $200 billion into the hospitals. So right now the utilization is at 70.2%. Okay? Well, Daniel, isn't that a majority? Well, it's kind of always like that because it's not economical to run hospitals at 20% capacity. And you look at the states in terms of the hospitalization utilization. Okay? What percentage are they above that? I wish you guys could could see Justin's chart here. In South Dakota, they're pretty much at par. North Dakota, they're 3.5% ahead. Minnesota, 5.8%. The biggest hotspots, Iowa and Wisconsin, are about 15%. I believe Montana is the most in the country. It's 18.5% above typical utilization. But most other states across the nation are pretty much at par. They're at par or within within 5%. Florida, six point, they're over 6.2%. Increase compared to average annual hospital bed utilization. Okay? So they're like in the 70s, like around 75% utilization. And we're getting there. It's going to be another couple weeks where it's going to saturate. Probably through December. And this will be a more of a strained period on that relative baseline curve. But it's nothing that's once in a thousand years that engenders covering our humanity, even if it would work, much less the fact that it's voodoo and doesn't work. 
That's the thing here. It's all built on a lie. But do you know what is unusual? Do you know what is unusual? The amount of people going to hospitals for mental health issues. A new a CDC study that was reported shows that the proportion of ER visits for mental health concerns among children and adolescents increased substantially this past March to October. But buried in the report is one piece of info about the percentage of ER visits that we never get. See, this is not a flu season. This is not the flu season. When a total of 100 people normally visit an ED, and five of them are for what's called CLI, COVID-like illness, that is 5%. If instead the total number is 50, and there are still five people visiting for CLI, that is 10%. The rate doubled, but the number is the same. So it's very much possible that the big proportion of CLI increase this year is due to the fact that less people go to the ER overall. So that's an interesting study to look at. I might delve into it. But the bigger question is, where are Republicans? Where are the Republicans? I can't find them. Where are they giving a competing vision? No, they're just as fascist in all these states. With the exception of two governors, but even then, in South Dakota and Florida, a lot of the localities are being fascist. Counties, where where Trump carried it, 70-30, 80-20. Where do we move to? We need, we need to fight the revolution all over again. But what I'm telling you is what that is going to require is to at least in the areas where people think like us, where we finally get a competing vision and then people will see and people will vote with their feet. You know, I saw an article that 300,000 families moved from New York City since March. And we're seeing and hearing this from the agents in Pennsylvania that, you know, this is not just the big cities. I mean, people are looking to buy rural land, especially eastern Pennsylvania. There's tremendous pressure on the market. That's why prices are much higher than we thought. Because people are just are just looking to, to get out. They're looking to get out. But where are Republicans? Well, the same place they're at with the election fraud, the same place they're at with crime, they're nowhere. This is from Fox DC. GOP leaders in four states quash dubious Trump bid on electors. And basically, all the leaders in the states, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, they're all publicly talking it down. Unlike Ron DeSantis, who's actually publicly pushing this, although he's from Florida. So, folks, this is the bottom line. We need a Tea Party. I don't mean mean like the 2010 movement. I mean, you know, like the 1773 uh, 
63 movement. I'm sorry, 1773 movement. I'm forgetting my history there. December 1773. We need a Tea Party movement. And the masks are the biggest symbol of control. But it's not just a symbol. I mean, we've talked about it before. The long-term health effects, the long-term psychological effects, the long-term developmental effects in children. This cannot go on much longer. Either we're America or North Korea. Either we have liberty or we have tyranny. This is much greater than the question of the election itself. This is, as I've noted, governing fraud. It's time we gather in groups of Sons of Liberty, Minutemen, in our respective areas. It's time we push back against this, and I'm telling you, the Europeans are doing it. And folks, if the Europeans are doing it, we sure as heck can do it as well. So anyway, this is going to be a long week. Lots going on as always. Follow me on Twitter at Conservative. You can follow me at Parlor on Parlor at DEH0414. Sorry, I couldn't get a better handle there, but I guess my name is uh, pretty popular. You can email me at dharwitz at blazemedia.com. And until they shut us down, our private page on Facebook is Miniman Speak Easy. Our public page is Horowitz Citizen Sanctuary. Till tomorrow, stay knowledgeable, stay informed, stay armed, and stay true to God.